Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission and are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word and that through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Praise the Lord, everybody. All right. I'm thankful for the peace of the Lord today. Amen. Um, I want to get right into our lesson. Thank you, Brother Roberts, for allowing me to teach today. Thank you to my husband for approving it. <laughs> so um, I don't take it lightly. I do honor the, uh, the opportunity. Um, but I want to get right into the lesson um, for sake of time. I don't want to go over. I'm usually long-winded, so I need to just get rolling here. But uh, many of you know that I... I'm an outdoorsy type of person, and uh, when I teach, I usually somewhere reference animals and wildlife or something to do with nature, and so I didn't want to disappoint you, and so today, I want to talk to us about some trees, lessons from the trees. If you'll turn to Psalms chapter 1, Psalms chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel." Of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree. Tell your neighbor, you shall be like a tree. Not physically, that would be hurtful. But he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. How many of you want to prosper? That whatever you put your hand to, you want it to be successful, whether it's a spiritual thing or a, on your job, whatever your home. I, I personally don't like failing. <laughs> I don't know many people that do. Uh, so I want to prosper. So when, when the scripture says, if you will do this, then you will prosper, I want to pay attention. And so I want to explore what exactly the Lord wants us to understand concerning the scriptures that we find. And, and Psalms chapter 1 verse 3 is not the only scripture in the Bible that references being like a tree. Um, there's others throughout the word of God. And so I want to kind of look and see what we can learn from three different types of trees. <clears throat> and throughout scripture, we do find many re references to trees. And for some reason, God seemed to equate certain characteristics of a tree to those of a righteous man. So the first tree I want to talk to us about today is the redwood tree. How many of you have ever been to California and seen the ginormous redwood trees? Um, that's on my bucket list. I've, I've not been there to see those, <clears throat> but I would love to. The Sequoia Redwood Tree, um, they are located in California, and they're some of the biggest trees in the world. The General Sherman is, in fact, noted that is the largest known living single-stem tree on earth. It is 275 feet tall, 25 feet in diameter, and it is approximately 2,500 years old. That's a big tree. That's a really old, big tree. 
Something that huge, you would think, must have an incredible root system that goes deep down in order to stand that tall. But that's not the case with the redwood tree. The sequoia redwood trees have a unique root system that is a marvel compared to their mammoth size. Their roots are relatively shallow. There is no taproot. A taproot is a large anchoring root that, that keeps a large tree anchored deep down into the soil, but a redwood tree does not have that. And so their roots actually only go 6 to 12 feet deep down into the ground. But these trees rarely fall over. It's a mar- it really is a marvel. It's, it doesn't make sense. In the law of physics, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. But they withstand strong winds, earthquakes, fires, storms, and prolonged flooding. So how is it that something that's up to 500 tons, reaching over 350 feet in height, and lived for many centuries, remains standing with roots only going down about 10 feet? The interesting thing about the redwood tree is that their root system is intertwined with other redwood trees, and they literally hold each other up. Can you see where I'm going? The trees grow very close together. They're dependent on each other for nutrients. So their their life is dependent on each other. Only redwoods have the strength and ability to support other redwoods. So beneath the surface of these humongous tall trees are roots that are literally like an army of men who have their arms interlocked, standing and supporting each other. They are preventing the adversaries of life from knocking each other down. They are also making sure that there are plenty of nutrients for growth to continue. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Unless you have an electric blanket. (laughs) But if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There is nothing like the body of Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's nothing like you. (laughs) In a good way. (laughs) Some of you spouses are like, yeah, that's right. There ain't nothing like you. In a good way. (laughs) There is nothing like the church. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, which this is an interesting time. be talking about this, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. How many of you know Jesus is coming back soon? Amen. Jesus is coming back soon. It's time to get ready, and we need to strengthen one another by being together, and whether that's in a church service or if it's in a small group, which pastor will be addressing later in the service today. But we need one another. I heard a preacher recently say, the question is not whether I can do something and still be saved. 
It's about if I do this thing and you're following my lead, can you be saved? We aren't in this just for ourselves. You were born into a body. You were born into the body of Christ. And we've got to understand that our influence is not just our own. It's not just about me. This isn't just about my little circle of influence, but we are in this together, all of you. However many are in here right now, you influence everyone else in this room, especially the little, the little humans that are in Sunday school right now. My children are watching your response to life. Your children are watching my response to life situations. The youth of this church are watching whether we worship through adversity or if we just crumble and have an emotional meltdown every time something gets a little chaotic. We have a responsibility to one another, to hold one another up. New converts that are coming into our church, they're watching our response. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about the body of Christ. Have you ever been around somebody who's oblivious to the fact that other people are watching them? When my children were little and we would go into a restaurant, we would have the speech of, okay, first of all, we're not on a playground. We're in a restaurant. I expect you to act right. And there's other people in the restaurant. So when you talk, let's not yell at the top of our lungs to one another. And sometimes, you know, I've had to give that speech in the teenage life because they're just like, Teenagers, they want to have fun and be loud and, yeah, mom and dad aren't here. We're on a youth trip and let's have a rodeo in the restaurant. And so I've had that speech with the teenagers quite a bit. Like, okay, remember, there's other people in the world besides you. (laughs) There are other people in this restaurant besides you, okay? But there's people that just don't care. They, They could care. There's adults I've seen that could care less that there were other humans around. We were standing in line at the fair one time. This is the one time in my life I almost got in a fight with somebody in the community. But we were standing in line, and my daughter, Dakota, was probably eight at the time. We're standing there, and these two individuals behind me were just dropping F-bombs. I'm telling you, I was like, Jesus, one more time, Lord. I'm just going to give them one more opportunity, and then I'm going to have to say something. And I don't remember which one of the older, they're like, Mom, Mom, do not say anything. Mother, Mom, let's just walk away. I'm like, nope, nope, we were in this line. We are riding this ride. We were here first. (laughs) They need to learn to watch their mouth. So anyway, it's okay. I didn't fight. I did say a couple things, but... I was just reminding them that there were children around and that they're not the only humans and maybe they could use, you know, some intellect instead of those words. But anyways, it's all good. They've, um, they've not come to church yet. <laughs> praying for them in Jesus' name. Um, but anyways, there are people that are just oblivious to the fact that there are other people around. Paul said in Hebrews in that, in that chapter that I referenced, chapter 10, verse 25, he said to exhort one another. So what does that mean? Let's look at the scripture right before that. Verse 24 says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We should be provoking one another to do good. We should be provoking one another to love. 
now, you know, we sometimes we can go on a rant. Somebody's upset about something, and we're like, yeah, you should have. You should have just smacked them across the head, you know. And we can provoke one another because out of our fleshly response that the Holy Ghost is not necessarily involved in, um, we, can, we can say things. And so, but we should, in fact, I had a situation recently. Somebody said, was this the right thing to say? I was like, nah, maybe there was another way we could go about it. And we should be provoking one another to good works, encouraging one another to do good. Let's not encourage one another to do wrong. That's really just the basis of Christianity. (laughs) You know, this, this is as shallow as it gets. But we are privileged to reap the benefits of the church. How many of you have have benefited from being part of the church? I absolutely have. When we need prayer, we can call a brother or a sister in the church, and many times right there on the phone, let me pray with you right now. That's a benefit of being a part of the church. When we need help moving and loading a U-Haul, who do we call? We call on the church people. Hey, can we get a group of men together? Y'all have helped us move numerous times. Thank you so much. And that, yeah, thank you. You've seen all of our junk. I've gotten rid of a lot of it, just so if we ever move again, and it's okay. We've gotten rid of a lot. <laughs> but when we need help, we can call. Ladies, how many of you have ever benefited from meals that after you've had a baby, the church shows up with some meals? I've benefited from that. There are benefits to being a part of the church. A couple weeks ago, Brother James brought your, your, the guys that have been coming with you. Buddy, I think is his name. He uh, came up here, and he was in need. And I'm telling you, as soon as he came up and pastor said, can we pray for him? It was like living hope was like, let's go. <laughs> I mean, there was a, just a herd of men that came and prayed for him and encouraged him as they were walking off. There were men saying, you got this and, and we're here for you. That's a benefit. You don't get that anywhere else. Out in the world, it's survival of the fittest and it's every man for himself and who can you step on as you climb the ladder. But in the church, there's benefits. And We're not perfect. Tell your neighbor, say, you are amazing, but you're not perfect. But you're not perfect. We rejoice with one another. How many of you have had something good happen in your life, and you've told somebody in the church about it, and they have rejoiced with you? I hope that's the case. I think we heard a preaching recently or teaching in the Wednesday nights about that. Rejoicing with one another. When someone's healed in your family, you can tell the church, and guess what? If you get up here and testify, what do you think the church is going to do? Woo! Praise the Lord! We're going to rejoice. That is a benefit. The church is the greatest place to be. Just like the roots of the redwood tree interlock with each other, and that is what keeps them from falling during the strongest of winds and the storms. We have to interlock with one another because the enemy is going to come and he's going to attack you and he's going to attack the church as a whole. And if we are just individual little pods here and there, we will fall. We will not make it. We have got to interlock with one another. And so when that wind of adversity comes, when those waves beat against us, we will stand. Amen. Sister Peoples shared something uh, this past week 
on Facebook that I thought was really perfect for, that goes along with this. It said, a church is not great because it's perfect. It's great because the saints know how to love imperfect people. How many of you are imperfect? I can raise all of my arms and legs and everything on that one. All of my arms, both of my arms. I only have two arms. <laughs> but I, I am imperfect. I have so many imperfections. We could be here for days telling you about them, but we won't because you don't need to know all of them. But we love one another. That's what makes it such a beautiful place. That's what makes it such a benefit in my life is that, and I've seen it where we've come in and somebody has, has fallen into sin. And you know what we don't do when they come back into church? We don't throw stones at them. Not one time at Living Hope has anyone done that. Living Hope has been a place of restoration for so many people. And that gives me hope that if I fall, I can count on it that when I walk in here and I come to an altar, I'm going to have about 25 people pleading the blood of Jesus, speaking in tongues, casting out devils, doing whatever they can on my behalf. And that is a benefit of the church. I love what Ephesians 2 says. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I probably could because I, I love that whole chapter. But he says, it, talking about the church, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Can anybody relate to that? Wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of obedient, disobedience. That was us. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, what does it say, together with Christ. By grace you are saved and hath raised us up, say that, together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Can you identify with that, having no hope? We're living in a world right now that everything is going crazy because they have no hope. And without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There should not be walls between us. If there's a wall between you and somebody in the church right now, make it right. Go to them and say, I love you. I need you. I'm telling you that the enemy is the master of disunity and division. So if there is division, I can promise you it's not from God. Make things right. Be willing to forgive. Be willing to submit yourself and admit when you're wrong. That's a whole nother lesson. But he says, I'll skip down to 19. He says, now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We are part of a family. 
And we've got to, and I know that sounds kind of cheesy, you know, we're like, oh, the family of God. But I'm telling you, there are benefits to being, there are some people, and I've, I've had people tell me that they're closer to the people sitting on these chairs right now than they are their own blood family. Because we rejoice together, we share with one another, we cry together, we march around the church and get stuck because our marching line gets too long and we can't move anymore. <laughs> we march together and we experience victory together. That is a benefit. We are better together than we are alone. And that's the first lesson from the redwood tree. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 through 32 Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, mustard seed, as we know, is a very, very, very small seed. I was going to try to bring some and give them to everybody in here, but they're so little. <laughs> it would take some time for the ushers to pick them up with their manly fingers <laughs> and put them in your hand. So I just said, well, they, they know what a mustard seed is. But when a mustard seed that is really small is planted and it begins to grow, it produces a great tree. So the mustard tree will generally attain a height no taller than 25 feet. But when you consider that it came from that little tiny seed, that's pretty impressive. Its branches reach low to the ground, and they're very widespread. This makes this tree very attractive to birds of the air to set up nest, and they will lodge in these branches. So I was interested in the significance of why Jesus would use the example of this tree in a parable. This parable that he's talking about, the mustard tree, is situated between two other parables that have a similar message. This parable about the mustard tree is preceded by the parable of the wheat and the tares. How many of you have heard that one taught or preached? It's um, basically the wheat and weeds, tares or weeds. When Jesus tells the crowd that where there is wheat growing, there will also be weeds. And during the harvest, you've got to burn the weeds and harvest the wheat. And the principle of being able to separate those that would come and try to choke out the word of God and prohibit the harvest of the souls of, um, in the church. Okay, that was his, that's the principle of the parable of the wheat and the tares. And then there's the mustard tree parable that I read. And then immediately following the parable of the mustard tree, he speaks another parable of the leaven or the yeast and the bread. And each of these parables are pointing to the same principle about the kingdom of God. And it is important to know that throughout scripture, um, whenever you read about the birds of the air, they are usually symbolic of evil, the birds of prey and the birds of the air. And so I was trying to understand what is Jesus trying to tell us about the kingdom of God and the mustard tree and how the birds will come and lodge in uh, the, the branches of the mustard tree. And so I looked up a, a couple different commentaries on it because I wanted to make sure 
that I wasn't just reading into things. I wanted to get some, uh, read something that was from some people that are probably a lot smarter than I am. Um, but the picture that is painted in the parable of the mustard seed by Jesus is of the humble beginnings of the church. The church began very small, very humble. It wasn't in a huge, beautiful cathedral that was, you know, with stained glass windows and, and all that jazz. It was very humble, a very humble beginning. And so Jesus is talking, the mustard seed is very small, but the church experienced an explosive rate of growth, 3,000 in one day. That's, that's a pretty good growth rate, um, 3,000 people in one day. And it continued to grow. They said the church was added to daily after that. And so it grows very large and becomes a source of food. The church becomes a source of food. It becomes a source of rest and shelter for the believers, but also for false professing individuals that seek to consume or take advantage of its benefits while residing or mixing among what was produced by the seed. In other words, Jesus predicts that while the church will grow extremely large from just a small start, it will not remain pure. And you're thinking, well, that sounds terrible. And while this is not a condemnation of church and Christianity today, it does show us, though, that the greatest, the greatest burden that comes with it. And the parable of the mustard seed is a prediction and it is a warning. And I believe that this warning, the lesson from the mustard tree, is Jesus calling us to hold fast to doctrine. Sound doctrine. My husband can testify, Brother Roberts can testify, that through the years we have had many people come through this church. And many have tried to influence leadership. They've tried to influence weak-minded saints that how we baptize is not important. It doesn't really matter how you're baptized. If you say in Jesus' name or if you call on the titles or if you want to do both, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, we've had them come through and say, speaking in tongues, it's really not a necessity. Does it really matter if we believe in three gods or one god or whatever, can we just adopt the Trinitarian doctrine? Because, man, people will really come to your church then if you'll just, just get rid of that whole Jesus name thing. We've had many people come in and say, holiness is not necessary. It's really not. It's antiquated. It pushes people away. Your church would be so much bigger and would do such just really great things if y'all would just drop that whole holiness thing. But Titus gives us very good instruction Titus chapter 1, he is speaking to the role of leaders in the church. He says in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, say that, sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound very nice. This is Titus. This is Scripture telling the leaders of the church, this is what you are going to face, and this is what we got to do. We've got to hold fast to sound doctrine. 
those whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, they're going to come in and they are going to wreak havoc. They're going to teach things that, are, uh, that they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. We have, this is a warning from Jesus himself, this principle of the mustard tree. There will be people that come in. There will be spirits that come in that will try to bring false doctrine. They're going to sit next to you. They may never get this microphone, but they'll sit next to you and they'll whisper in your ear. He's really making a big deal out of that. Man, your pastor, he needs to chill. He sweats too much and he needs to calm down. (laughs) I don't know if they've said that. They may have. He can't help it. He's very passionate. But they're going to whisper in your ear. They're going to whisper things that it's really not that necessary. Why do they make such a big deal out of that? Holiness, come on. Just do what makes you happy. Jesus wants you to be happy. Y'all don't make me go there. Y'all know what I think about that. But it's for this reason that we at Living Hope, as long as we are here, will continue to preach that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. We will also preach that Peter said about salvation, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We will also preach that Paul said, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's not Pastor Staten that said that. This is the word of God, Hebrews 12, 14. You can look it up. Without holiness, you will not see the Lord. Colossians 3, 17 says, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, like in baptism, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We will never stop preaching it. So if you've heard those voices, if those birds have come in and they have plopped down on your branch, you need to shoo them away. You can be nice. Just say, this is what we believe. This is the word of God and we're not changing. We are not going to change. And so we have got to heed the principle of what Jesus was saying about the mustard seed and hold fast to sound doctrine. We live in a very uncertain world right now, and there's a lot of stuff that's going to try to make its way into your mind and into your spirit, and you've got to be aware. We, this is not the time to sleep. This is not the time to sleep. We better wake up and understand that there's going to come attack on the church, and we've got to hold fast to sound doctrine. Amen. The next tree, the last tree... Uh, First, turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 8. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The last tree I want to talk about is the aspen tree. Now, the aspen tree is my favorite tree. 
I love aspen trees. I think they're absolutely beautiful. They have that tall, silvery, white trunk that reaches really high into the sky. And then in the fall, have you ever seen aspen trees in the fall? That's kind of what they look like. They are just absolutely brilliant. Their leaves are very bright. They're just golden Beautiful. I love aspen trees. Every time we go out west, there's a lot of them out in Colorado and New Mexico up in the mountains, and I always want to get my picture with an aspen tree. <laughs> it's weird, but I like aspen trees. But the aspen tree, it grows in a wide range of environmental conditions. It can grow in moist areas, stream sides to dry ridges. It can grow on treacherous slopes. It will grow in shallow to deep soils of various origins, and it's tolerant of a wide range of climates. It's found in all the mountain vegetational zones from the plains to the mountains to the alpines, okay? So aspen trees can grow pretty much anywhere. One aspen tree, though, that I, I read was interesting. One aspen tree is actually only a small part of a larger organism. So a stand, if you study trees, a stand is, called, is basically a group of aspen trees. So if you see a group of aspen trees, that's a stand. Now you've learned something in Sunday school today. And you can tell somebody, make you sound really smart. So you see that stand of aspen trees. <laughs> Anyways, um, but a, it's a group of aspen trees. And it is considered, one group is considered to be a singular organism with the main life force being underground in the extensive root system. And before a single aspen trunk appears above the surface, the root system may lie dormant for many years until the conditions are just right. Even if the trees of a group or a stand are wiped out, it's very difficult to permanently extinguish an aspen's root system due to the rapid rate in which it reproduces. Okay, so after researching different sources and aspects of the aspen tree. I came across several sources um, from the U.S. Forest Service, as well as others that study the ecology of aspen trees. And they stated that the thing that causes aspen trees to thrive and to reproduce other aspen trees, the one factor that really enriches the soil that enables hundreds of these beautiful trees who are a benefit to everyone around them, the one thing is fire. Now, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, trees and fire, usually that doesn't end up well for the tree. But according to the U.S. Forest Service, fire appears to be the necessary thing for the continued well-being of aspen trees. Many aspen stands are replaced by grass and other things that will try to overtake it when there is no fire. So you may, if you don't know this, the U.S. Forest Service will do a controlled burn um, in some of the forest areas. And that's actually to enrich the soil and to help the growth of certain trees, the aspens being one of them. Aspen trees have a very uh, moist green leaf, and their thick twigs don't burn very easily. And so um, they, they said that a fire running through a forest will actually drop to the ground when it comes to an aspen stand. 
and it may even extinguish after burning into the aspen only a few yards. Jeremiah said in the scripture that I read, and she and shall not see when heat cometh. This tree shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. So the lesson we can learn from the aspen tree, don't despise the fiery trial. Don't become bitter in your suffering. The verse before that says in, in Jeremiah, it says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. If we've ever needed to trust the Lord, it's in the day we live in. We've got to trust the Lord. And when we trust the Lord, we become as a tree that's planted by the waters, that has spread out her roots, and even when the fire comes, we will not be destroyed. And it will continue. Even in the heat, we will continue to bring forth fruit. The fire is not going to kill you. I need you to believe that. What you're going through right now is not for your destruction. And that's how you're going to make it through the fiery trial, is by trusting that God is not going to let me be destroyed in this. God is not going to let you be destroyed. And what an awesome promise. This is such an awesome promise. Uh, and I, I can just be honest with you, I've never really studied into that scripture before, but Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. I trust the Lord. I don't trust me. I don't trust the world out there. I don't trust the, the news for sure right now. I ain't got a clue. Everybody's an expert. I don't trust Facebook. Everybody's posting all their expert sources, and everybody's got an opinion, and theirs is the right one on both sides. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. It's not a big deal. Everybody shares their opinion, and everybody's an expert. I don't trust it, just so you know. If you post an article trying to prove to me that this is the end of mankind, I'm not going to believe it <laughs> because my trust is in the Lord. Now, if the Lord comes down and says, Valerie, this is the end of mankind, then I'm like, okay, let's, let's prepare for this. We need to go buy more toilet paper. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you've stocked up on toilet paper, good for you. Um, just share if things get rough, okay? Just We are a body of people that support one another. Amen. So just share. And just don't steal the church's toilet paper. If I could just put that out there, just leave that alone. Let the church people be able to take care of business. Anyways, how did I get there, Brother Roberts? <laughs> Anyways, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. We will not be destroyed. Tell your neighbor right now, and with everything in you, I need you to convince them everything is going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And if that's the message you need to hear today, please take it to heart. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. God is in control. We're not. God is. He knows what he's doing. And we have to trust that. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 says, Beloved, all y'all, my beloved, he says, 
Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice. And you're like, I don't like this scripture. I don't want to rejoice when I'm going through struggles. But he says, rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, the Lord's strength, is made perfect in your weakness. When I'm weak, that's when God shows up. That's when God reveals his power and his glory. And it's in the fire. It's in the fire where the power of God is revealed. It's not usually on the mountaintop. It's usually when we're going through the fire that God says, let me show myself powerful to you. If the three Hebrew children would have never been thrown into the fire, they would have never known him to be a deliverer. Trust the Lord with your fiery trial. Without sickness, we don't know him as a healer. If you want to know the Lord and we say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you in the fellowship of your suffering. Okay, never mind. I'm good over here. I don't have to know you all that well. I can know of you. But there, the power of God is revealed to us in that fiery trial. 1 Peter 5.10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a little while, he's going to make you perfect. He's going to establish you, strengthen, and settle you. I love that word, that settling. We are so unsettled sometimes. We just walk around anxious and, oh, man, I got, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I don't know what to do about this. And I don't know how to handle this. And just calm down. Just calm down. God is going to settle you. You may be going through it right now, but you can feel a settling in your spirit in the middle of it. And we've got to trust that. Aspen trees grow all the time, even in winter. Beneath the thin white outer bark layer is a thin green layer that allows the tree to create sugars, a sugary substance, and it will grow when other trees would otherwise be dormant. And during hard winters, this green sugary layer provides necessary nutrients for the forest animals. Throughout the year, young aspens provide food or a to a variety of animals, including moose, black bear, beaver, porcupine, different rodents, insects. When they can't find nutrients anywhere else, they can go to the aspen tree because of this sugary substance. And the reason the aspen thrives, even in winter months, is because of this sugary layer on the trunk of the tree that not only protects it, but it provides nutrients to others. Your fiery trial may not only be for you, but it may be for someone else who's watching you. So be very careful, church, that we don't allow bitterness from life's fiery trials to be what others feed off of. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words 
are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Have you ever heard that saying, birds of a feather flock together? If you notice that the people that you're flocking with are bitter and angry, maybe you should go flock somewhere else. (laughs) Okay? It could be that you are producing something that they're feeding off of. If you notice that everybody around you all of a sudden gets uptight and anxious and grumpy, maybe it's because that's what you're producing and they're feeding off of it. That's the lesson from the aspen tree. So as the redwood tree, let's link arms with our brother and our sister, and let's give thanks for the church. And as the principle of the mustard tree teaches us, hold fast to sound doctrine and silence the voices of false doctrine. Don't let them take up residence in your home and in your life and in your mind. And as the aspen tree, let's learn to thrive and stay sweet in the middle of a fiery trial. Let's stand. I want us to pray and ask the Lord to help us as a church that we will take these lessons that obviously the Lord has been speaking to us in other ways and we would apply them to our life. God, I pray right now for this church. I pray for living hope. I pray that, God, we would learn to trust you. God, in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of times that we, we don't know what's going on, but, God, we can trust you.